Hello, welcome to Bush History. I'm David Bush. You are listening to my 12th podcast in my American History review series covering the years 2001 through 2009. Additional information is also available at my website, www.bushhistory.net, and you can also find a full-length video of this review on YouTube under Bush History, and that's B-U-S-C-H-I-S-T-O-R-Y. Thank you. Hi there. Welcome back to Bush History. This is my final segment of my timeline review series in American history. And this segment is going to cover primarily the George W. Bush administration that went from 2001 to 2009. The Bush administration is difficult to look at in, uh, in light of the fact that it's fairly recent in American history. This is 2013 that I'm making this video series. And it's difficult to look back at a presidency and really judge it in a, in a really critical light when we're still so close to it, especially when we're into the next administration, and we're in the Obama administration right now. But nevertheless, the Bush administration has some incredibly notable events to discuss. And compared to the Good Times Bill Clinton administration, George Bush is going to have his hands full. Certainly, he's going to start with the disputed election in 2000 that's going to ascend into the presidency in January of 2001 without a mandate. People are going to be divided, the nation's going to be divided, and it's a question of, is this the guy we want leading the country? And he's going to start with his tax cuts, and the tax cuts are going to be welcome because there's going to be money coming back into people's hands and people's pockets to spend, and hopefully it will fuel the economy. But that pseudo-honeymoon doesn't last very long because Nine months later, we hit September 11th, and boy, does the world change for sure. So let's take a look at the events of the Bush administration. When George Bush becomes president in January of 2001, the poverty index is 11.25%. And one of the first things he does, he starts a series of tax cuts that historically will be known as the Bush tax cuts. And he drops the, ta the top tax rate from 396 to 35%. Well... There's a short-lived holiday for that. People actually start to get checks in the mail, and I actually got a $600 check in the mail from the Bush administration. And there was a kickback to that, because many people, myself included, thought that we should be paying down the debt as opposed to giving the money back to the taxpayers. So there was a movement to send checks back, and I was one of the people who sent my, my check back to the government because we just thought it was the wrong idea, and I wasn't alone in that. Anyway, so moving forward, 9-11 occurs, and we know that in 9-11, the world changed. There isn't much more we can say about it. Almost 3,000 people died when the uh, World Trade Center in New York City and the Pentagon was attacked, and of course we have the plane crash in Pennsylvania. All four events, the two towers being two separate events, all four events at the hands of extremist terrorists, and the world changed completely. It was a beautiful Tuesday morning, I remember, like it was yesterday, I was teaching this class that morning, and we actually watched the second tower fall together. Very, very poignant. As I told you in a previous video, Washingtonville is a small village about an hour and a half north of Manhattan, and we have a significant population of firefighters and policemen that work in New York City. So it was a, uh, it was a tragedy hit very close to home. So the world changed, and the world changed not certainly in a good way. What we're going to have is we're going to have the war on terror. The Bush administration is going to announce the war on terror, and we're going to get them. Uh, 
A day later, George Bush is down on the pile of the World Trade Center, and he pretty much vows revenge. And the country stands behind him. We want revenge the way we want revenge after Pearl Harbor. So a series of events occur very quickly. The Department of Homeland Security is going to be created, and Homeland Security is going to be a cabinet-level position, and the whole point of Homeland Security is to do just what it sounds like. It's going to launch a series of measures and a series of procedures to protect the homeland. And one of the things that comes out very quickly as a result of that is the thought that the people who did this were from Afghanistan and we launched the Afghan war in October. October 7th specifically we go and attack the Taliban in Afghanistan. A war, by the way, that goes on to this day and we're talking about 2013 at this point. On October 26th, the Patriot Act is instituted. The Patriot Act is a far-reaching, once again, an omnibus act. There are many parts of this. And basically what it allows for is a huge reach by the FBI and the CIA in gathering information on terrorism in and outside of the United States. It's not unlike the Espionage and Sedition Acts, the Alien and Sedition Act, and the Red Scare of previous times in American history. So here we have it again. It's a hip-shot reaction that will be debated hotly as we go forward. Not related to any of this, we have Enron. Enron is one of the largest utility companies in the world. They specialize in gas and electricity uh, distribution. They produce paper and they produce pulp. And in the year 2000, they recorded $100 billion worth of earnings. Well, in the tail end of 2001, Enron goes bankrupt. It turns out they were cooking the books. They were cooking the books and reporting money that they didn't have. They had 20,000 employees that were going to lose their jobs, and this becomes the first big corporate scandal of the Bush administration. Certainly nothing to do with the Bush presidency, but it kind of marks a, uh, an eight-year administration that's going to have one large event after another it has to deal with. He's not going to live the charmed life of uh, Bill Clinton and the rise of the Internet. So, we have in 2001, we have the beginning of the war on terrorism as a result of 9-11, Department of Homeland Security is announced as a result of 9-11. The Afghan war, we invade Afghanistan. The Patriot Act comes into play and we start suspending civil liberties and start listening to phone conversations and inspecting mail. Enron fails. It was the, uh, a tremendous, tremendous blow to corporate America um, after nine years of steady growth during the 1990s. And, and George Bush is looking further. He's looking at Iraq. The uh, United Nations, time after time after time, had passed resolutions against Iraq where they wanted Iraq to allow these UN inspectors to go in and inspect um, um, Saddam Hussein's facilities to see if he was making uh, weapons that were prohibited as a result of the Persian Gulf War. And for a while, Saddam Hussein said yes, and then he said no, and he, you know, he stood up against these investigators coming in trying to see what he had, and it really raised this whole specter of suspicion. What's going on in Iraq? So that, as you can figure out, is ultimately going to lead to the attack on Iraq that's going to occur just a year later. So all these resolutions are occurring, and Saddam Hussein is largely ignoring them. Out of nowhere, we have No Child Left Behind. No Child Left Behind is a domestic measure by the Bush administration to try to improve education in the United States. And what it really calls for is a series of tests that occur throughout elementary, middle school, and high school that if your child doesn't reach a certain plateau on those tests, your child is supposed to have remediation.
It unfortunately is an unfunded mandate. The states will have to comply, but they'll be given no funding by the federal government to do so. So it sounds nice, but if the states are going to comply with extra tutoring or extra support, they're also going to have to take money away from other educational programs. And this is the beginning of an attack on education, actually, that's going to go on for, oh, till the present day, as a matter of fact. But it starts with No Child Left Behind. Of course, if you're against No Child Left Behind, then you must want to leave children behind. So this is one of those uh, initiatives that is hard to fight from a, a public perception point of view. On the heels of the Enron disaster, we have Sarbanes-Oxley. Sarbanes-Oxley is a bill put into Congress and then ultimately signed by George Bush that says that the accounting firms that check the books and report on the health of corporations are responsible for what they have in those books. Specifically, the CFO or the CEO of the accounting firm is directly responsible. It's an attempt to avoid cooking the books as what happened with Enron. So it's an attempt at basically overseeing corporations and what they're reporting to the public. George Bush really wants to go into Iraq and he's claiming that Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. And Colin Powell, the American Secretary of State, the U.S. Secretary of State, actually goes to the United Nations and makes a plea, makes a plea that he wants a U.N. resolution to support action against Iraq. And Colin Powell is a wonderful man. He's a very ethical human being, and he's speaking to his best. I remember this very well, and he's saying, if we don't go into Iraq, Iraq is going to produce these weapons, and then who knows what's going to happen next. Well. It turns out that the UN Security Council really is, isn't interested in voting for any kind of aggressive measure against Iraq, so it's decided not to have a vote. The United States doesn't want to have a vote in the UN Security Council that votes down aggressive measures against Iraq, so the vote never occurs. And ultimately, the United States decides to go along with a couple of allies that agree with the United States. Anyway, during that same time period, uh, Congress will then authorize force against Iraq, and now it's simply a matter of time before we will invade Iraq. As stated, 2002 has a lot going on, as well as 2001, with a lot of reaction to the events that occurred in 2001. And the Dow, the Dow Industrial, the measure of how well business is doing in the country, is actually doing all right at 7,528, and it's going to rise during this time period because the corporation will make a lot of money as we enter into the war with Iraq. George Bush cuts taxes a second time. This time he, we get a check, we get a smaller check, and he cuts certain corporate income taxes and defense spending rise. Now if you think about that, think about that real carefully here, you're going to cut taxes, you're going to increase spending. This sounds like a playbook from trickle-down economics from the Reagan years. We're going to end up with an end of the surplus that he got from the Clinton administration and the surplus is going to go into deficit and the deficit is going to lead into debt. So things have turned around a little bit in the United States in the middle of 2002, but, but let's keep in mind he is dealing with the events of September 11th as well, so certainly there would be a budget hit of some form. We have something new, we have a new vehicle for Americans. It's called a home equity line of credit or home equity loan. Really what this home equity idea is, is that if you owe $100,000 on your house and your house is worth $300,000, you can borrow that remaining $200,000.
So you can end up owing 100% of your house's value. And there are commercials all over TV saying, take the equity out of your attic, take the equity out of your house and buy things. So people go on a spending spree with borrowed money based on the value of their house. The assumption is, and it's happened this way throughout the entire baby boom generation, is your house will continue to rise in value. So if you borrow money here and your house is worth this much, you still have this much equity. Well, what happens if the value of your house starts to decline? And that's going to happen later in the, in, the, uh, in the decade. But at this time, people are borrowing money in their house, and it's fueling a spending spree, and it's fueling an economy that appears to be doing very well. But the economy is doing very well on borrowed money. The government is borrowing money, and people are borrowing money. And once again, as we've learned time and time again, if you borrow it, you have to pay it back. And we're not going to be able to pay it back when it actually comes around at the end of the Bush administration. So there's a prosperity gap that's going on because businesses are doing well based on income, but homeowners look like they're doing well based on borrowing. And as we go through this, you're going to see actually that the poverty level is going to rise when this catches up to itself later in the Bush administration. As I said, defense spending is rising. There's a company called Halliburton that Dick Cheney used to be a, a part of, and they're getting a lot of contracts to do with the Afghan and then the Iraq war. The Iraq war actually begins on March 20th, 2003, and this is when we actually invade Iraq. And strangely enough, basically two months later, on May 1st, George Bush gives this mission accomplished speech. He's on the deck of an aircraft carrier and he's saying that we've accomplished our mission in Iraq. And true enough, in the early days of Iraq, uh, there were Iraqis in the street and they were screaming and they were shouting pro-American things. We pulled down the statue of Saddam Hussein and it looks like things are going very well. But it's not going to hold. It's going to change very quickly. On December 13th of 2003, Saddam Hussein is captured. He's actually living in a hole. They find him in a hole in a house in a village in, you know, in Iraq. I don't remember the name of the village, but he's actually brought out, and we see him on TV coming out of this hole, and because he's actually much older than he, that we, that we actually, actually looked, because he colored his hair, he's coming out, he's gray, he's kind of haggard, he's not looking like the spit and polished tough guy that he had portrayed to the world for so long. Tax cuts are continuing, more tax cuts are occurring for corporations in the United States, which simply means that less money is going to the federal government. We're fighting now two wars, Afghanistan and Iraq, and the debt is rising. But once again, this spending fury is occurring, and because the spending fury is occurring, the Dow hits 10,000. 10,000 is an incredibly high point for the Dow Jones Industrials, and it looks like, once again, we're able to fight these wars and still live a really good life. But it's all fake. It's like a modern-day Gilded Age, and we're not going to be able to hold up with this level of spending and this level of borrowing. As we move forward into 2004, we're finding that terrorism is actually spreading around the world. Sure, we're still recovering from the attacks of September 11th, and we're involved in two wars. Now Spain is sucked into it. There's the Madrid subway bombing. And this is now a tragedy in Spain, so the world is waking up a little bit that the bad guys aren't just in the Middle East or attacking the United States. In a really stupid move by American military personnel, we have the Abu Ghraib prison scandal. And this is a prison in Iraq in which American soldiers have taken prisoners of war and basically humiliated them 
They, they're walking them around like they're dogs on leashes. They haven't dressed up in costumes. They haven't built up in human pyramids. And they're taking pictures of these things. And this is just incredibly stupid. And they're posting these pictures on the internet. And the soldiers are showing their faces. So now what are we doing? We are humiliating a culture. This certainly isn't going to go well. And George Bush is, is fit to be tied. And yes, an investigation is launched and people are punished. But it just makes us look very bad in a portion of the world that we're trying to make things better in, because now we're as bad as the bad guys. On September 8, 2004, it's announced that there are a thousand dead U.S. soldiers as a result of the Iraq War. And I remember teaching at this time, saying, what's going to happen when the amount of soldiers in Iraq that are dead, amount of American soldiers in Iraq that are dead, exceed the amount of people who died on September 11th? And we sent them there. If we sent them to Iraq, and they die in Iraq, and let's add the ones in Afghanistan as well, and they die in Afghanistan, and these wars supposedly are related to terrorism. Remember, Afghanistan was specifically to get Osama bin Laden and to get the Taliban. Iraq was specifically to get weapons of mass destruction, not because of September 11th. That is, it's really crazy to try to fight two wars at the same time. Nevertheless, by the time we hit September 8th, 2004, there's a thousand U.S. soldiers dead. And you've got to believe, I, I remember teaching this class at the time, you've got to believe the number's going to rise. And when the number rises past the amount of people who died on September 11, 2001, now who's the bad guy? Yes, 2001, September 11, 2001, horrible event. Never can take that back. But if we're going to kill more of our own people trying to avenge that event, I think we need to take a serious look at our foreign policy. Moving forward, as a result of not finding the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and having to plead the case at the United Nations about the weapons of mass destruction, we're going to have Colin Powell resigning. Now, an event occurs during this time called the Valerie Plame Affair. And the Valerie Plame Affair is a very interesting situation. Valerie Plame had been a CIA operative and basically a spy. And her husband, Joe Wilson, had been a former ambassador under Bill Clinton. And there was a debate about that was going on in the CIA in the days leading up to the war in Iraq about uranium being sold and being sold from Africa into Iraq and that uranium being turned into you know, weapons of mass destruction. And Joe Wilson had gone to Africa to check into Niger, specifically was the country, to check into this and concluded that that weapon sale never occurred or that uranium sale never occurred. Reported that back to the CIA, but then for some reason or other it all got turned around and it was reported that Iraq was indeed trying to buy this uranium. Well, Joe Wilson did not want to be the source for a lie, so Joe Wilson turned around and he reported and he reported the situation in the New York Times that he had been the source and there was no uranium sale and the government was lying. So the government had lied about the weapons of mass destruction, and unfortunately, Colin Powell had been part of the lie. Now, to make this a bigger story, what happens is Valerie Plame, Joe Wilson's wife, had been a CIA agent, partially <coughs> involved in getting scientists out of Iraq who had been working on weapons of mass destruction earlier in their careers. Well, um, Scooter Libby, who had been one of Vice President Cheney's top advisors, found a way to divulge Valerie Plame to the public as a CIA agent. So Joe Wilson is Valerie Plame's husband. 
Joe Wilson speaks out that there are no weapons of mass destruction. In response, Scooter Libby, Dick Cheney's uh, top advisor, turns around and outs Valerie Plame as a CIA agent. So now we all know that there are no weapons of mass destruction because the CIA agent herself is going to ultimately testify about this. Well, Colin Powell in the middle of this says, I don't want any part of this any longer, and Colin Powell resigns. Uh, many people believe he resigned because he believed he was lied to and then presented himself to the United Nations and he looks like a liar. So he tries to resign and distance himself from the situation. So anyway, Powell resigns and we head into 2005. In 2005, YouTube, YouTube, which allows me to do this, um, hits the streets and now we have the ability to store videos on the internet. And that's going to be a very good thing, especially for events like this and for family sharing pictures and stuff like that. We also, in August of 2005, we have Hurricane Katrina. George Bush cannot buy a break. It's one bad event after another while he's president, and I don't really think he's up to the task. George, if, if we hadn't had September 11th, George Bush might have had a pretty easy presidency. He might have had a good ride throughout his presidency, and he might not have been tested to the point that he was. But very few people can rise to the level needed to deal with the things that are going on in the Middle East, the things that are going on at home here, and the corporate mess that's going on, and actually be able to handle it well. I think he probably did as well as he could have done. Anyway, so now, Mark Felt is going to step forward. Mark Felt. Who's Mark Felt? That's the question. Who is this guy? Well, Mark Felt was Deep Throat. Deep Throat is the guy who gave information to, to Woodward and Bernstein during the Watergate investigation. And Mark Felt had been a member of the FBI, and he'd been, he was upset by things that were going on during the Nixon years in the White House, and he had turned around and he was one of the sources for all the information they were reporting about uh, Watergate and the Watergate break and the like, and he had not wanted his information known, he did not want his identity known, but in 2005, Mark Felt is sick, he's actually dying, and he wants to leave his family uh, a bit of money after his death, so he basically outs himself and he agrees that he will share his story and he has paid for sharing his story. So now we actually know who Deep Throat is. Later in the year in 2005, Saddam Hussein is going to be put on trial in Iraq. The Bush administration is pretty clear. They do not want him tried by Americans. He will be tried by Iraqis and certainly he's going to be found guilty. There are bombings in London in, on buses and the subway system. They try and connect it to what happened in Spain. They try to connect it to 9-11. The whole idea is that these bad guys are everywhere. And there's a collective fear that occurs in this 10-year time period that have not been there before. And maybe we'll get past, maybe we won't with some time. In October of 2005, October 2nd specifically, the government announced that there are now 2,000 dead in Iraq. And they also say there are no weapons of mass destruction. It's the whole reason of going to war with these weapons of mass destruction. Joe Wilson and Valerie Plain were right. There were no weapons of mass destruction. And now we're fighting a war that we probably shouldn't have been in, in the first place. So we're fighting two wars. Because remember, Afghanistan is still going on. I will tell you that while we're fighting the war in Iraq, Afghanistan is largely a backseat. And that's kind of strange because Afghanistan was supposed to be the hotbed of terrorism. That was supposed to be where Osama bin Laden was hanging out and we're concentrating more on Iraq. Bush is re-elected in 2006. A lot of people surprised, including me, by that. I thought that Bush might lose in 2006 because of the whole weapons of mass destruction thing. 
But he was running against John Kerry, who's a rather weak Democratic candidate running against the incumbent Bush. And we have a history of not liking to change presidents during some kind of crisis. So Bush might have gotten a nod on that. So now Bush is re-elected in 2006. But his Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld, resigns largely because of the way things are going in the Middle East. They're not going nearly as well as we wanted them to. Because remember, three months after the invasion, George Bush announces that the invasion of Iraq, that mission is accomplished, but now here we are three years later and we're still in Iraq and it's not getting any better. The Dow hits 12,000, which is crazy, but it's hitting 12,000 because corporations are making big money off the war, because taxes are low, because people are borrowing money to spend money, so business is doing well. People are buying big houses with very little down. Regulation and rules for getting mortgages have been relaxed during this period of deregulation and it's going to be a train wreck. It's going to be an unbelievable train wreck in just about a year and a half. Poverty level has risen to 12.3%. So this is a strange thing. Kind of reminds me of the, the whole idea of progress and poverty. The idea that society is getting better, but if society is getting better, why is poverty continuing to increase? And it certainly is increasing. The gap is getting wider and wider. In 2007, we had a toy. We had a cool toy. The iPhone comes out, and people lining up because, wow, this is the best thing since the iPod. And Apple is the sweetheart of American companies. Apple can do no wrong, and now the iPhone is out there. In that same year, another cultural event, by the way, the final Harry Potter book comes out. And J.K. Rowling is marching all the way to the bank because these things have been so incredible with American youths. The Dow hits an all-time high of 14,164. And like going off a cliff, Shortly after this, we get the subprime mortgage crisis. What that means is when you and I borrow money to buy a house, we have certain qualifications we have to reach based on income, based on how much money we're going to put down, based on how much we can afford to pay each month, and based on our credit history. Well, during the 2000 years, during the Bush administration, rules have been relaxed. You can make less money, you could have a poor credit rating, you could put down less money, and you could qualify for a higher payment on a house. So people were buying houses, people were buying $300,000 houses, and borrowing $300,000. So they were subprime borrowers. A person with a good income and a good credit rating was a prime borrower. A person who didn't have a good income and a good credit rating was a subprime borrower. But the thought was, houses keep getting more and more expensive each year. So if it's tough this year to purchase that house, next year your house will be worth more and you can refinance and take more money out. So let's just keep borrowing on our house and our banks and our houses become ATMs. Well, in late 2007 going into 2008, some people start to be hit with higher mortgage payments based on what's called an adjustable rate mortgage. Early on in an adjustable rate mortgage, maybe the first six, month, six months, maybe the first year, the mortgage payments are very low. So you get into the house and you're walking around going, hey man, this is a great house. I can afford this house. A year later, the mortgage payment goes up. And now you can't afford that payment anymore. So what do you do? You start to default. People start to not pay their mortgages. First it starts a little bit, like a pebble in a pond. But the more people who stop paying their mortgages, the less money the banks get back. back and now it's going to become difficult for banks to operate because they're not going to have the funds they need. And same thing with true for mortgage bankers. Mortgage bankers are not bankers the way you and I think of 
private banks that are controlled by the FDIC and the Federal Reserve. Mortgage bankers are private entities, and they've been lending money like it's the Wild West, and like that houses are always going to be worth more and more. Now, they're going to be in trouble. They're going to be in trouble in a very big way because people aren't paying money back. And what's going to happen is we're going to go forward and we're going to have a series of business failures. But before we get there, just a couple of other things. In 2008, oil hits an all-time high of $100 a barrel. It had never been that expensive before. $100 a barrel means gas to the pump is going up as well. And that's one of those things people don't like. We don't like expensive gas in the United States. We're used to gas being pretty cheap. And, you know, uh, the Middle East is a drug deal and we're the junkie. Gas has been cheap. Gas is going up. We are not happy. The uh, government announced that we have 4,000 dead in Iraq. So 4,000 dead in the Iraqi war. A war that we shouldn't have fought in the first place because there are no weapons of mass destruction because our government lied about those weapons of mass destruction based on faulty information. Yeah, you're hearing it. You're hearing the dripping sarcasm here. On September 15, 2008, Lehman Brothers, the largest investment banking company at the time, goes bankrupt. An incredible, an incredible event because everyone that invested in Lehman Brothers is now broke. And you're talking about not millions, but billions of dollars. And these different banking companies, these different investment companies, Morgan Stanley, um, Goldman Sachs, Lehman Brothers and the like, they had been insured. They had been insured by a company called AIG. AIG is a big insurance company. And they're insuring these mortgage companies because they think that real estate is always going to increase. Well, Lehman goes bankrupt and AIG is holding the note. Basically, AIG is going to have to pay for Lehman Brothers going bankrupt. And the very next day, on September 16th, the Federal Reserve has to lend AIG $85 billion. So, what's going on here? Investment bank goes under. The Federal Reserve lends the insurance company $85 billion because not only is Lehman Brothers in trouble, the rest of them are in trouble as well. And AIG is going to prop them up, but where is AIG going to get the money? AIG is going to have to borrow from the Federal Reserve. So we now, as opposed to having these years of laissez-faire with no government involved in the economy whatsoever, the government's got to get involved to keep the economy from crashing. On September 25th, Washington Mutual fails. It's the largest bank failure in the history of the United States. Why does Washington Mutual fail? The same reason Lehman fails. It made bad loans to people who couldn't pay them. So inside of a month, two weeks actually, Lehman Brothers 915, AIG 916, 925, Washington Mutual fails. The Dow is in a free fall. And if the Dow is in a free fall, that means people's confidence in companies is falling through the floor. It's just, it's just falling apart. And good companies, good companies can't borrow money either. Companies like GE, Boeing, companies who aren't involved in any of this, they can't borrow money because no one will lend the money because they fear what happened with Lehman. Well, Somehow, somehow, we have to stop this. Now, at the same time, remember, we have Barack Obama campaigning against John McCain. Well, John McCain, you know, he, things are not going well for old John McCain to begin with, and now he's going to represent a party of an administration whose failed economic policies are throwing the United States right down the toilet. So, John McCain and Barack Obama suspend their campaign. They're both senators. They're going to go back to the Senate. They're going to see what they can do. 
And the Federal Reserve and the FDIC come up with something called a TARP plan, Trouble Asset Relief Program. And they're going to lend the leading investment banks in the United States $700 billion. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money from a government who did not want to get involved in the business and functioning of private companies in the United States, and they do. It's called the TARP program. And of course, this is very anti-George Bush in terms of what he would like to do now he's doing it. So it's, it's going to kill the election. Uh, Sarah Palin has already damaged John McCain's chance of becoming president, and TARP is going to kill it because the public is furious. We are bailing out companies, but we're not helping people who are losing their houses. And this is going to be how the Bush administration ends. It's going to end with a whimper. It's going to end with people saying, what happened? What happened to those Clinton years? Surely, surely we can't blame the events of September 11th on George Bush. There's no doubt about it. What we can blame on the Bush administration is cutting taxes when we're fighting two wars. We needed to fund those wars somehow, which means the government is an incredible high deficit and debt by the time we reach the end of the administration, which means they're their hands are kind of tied behind their back when it comes to helping the economy. We can blame the Bush administration on rolling back regulations on investment banks and encouraging this investment of people who didn't have money to buy houses. We can blame that kind of stuff. We can blame the Bush administration on this tone that everything's going to be fine, that you can fight a war and not really have to finance the war. And the Bush administration is going to come to an end. Now, on the upside, we don't know the impact of the two wars in the Middle East as we go forward. Afghanistan and Iraq could become bastions of democracy as we move forward. I have to tell you, a lot of people doubt that's going to occur. But it could happen that way. It could happen that way, and it could be that W. Bush was a visionary. I kind of doubt it, but it's still too close. As a history teacher and as a closet historian, I know you can't judge events right on top of them. You need to give it some time. Nevertheless, in November of 2008, Barack Obama will be elected president of the United States, become the first black president of the United States, which is not why he's elected, although he certainly does get a majority of the black vote. He's elected largely because people looked at John McCain, they looked at his first choice for vice president, who was Sarah Palin, who was a joke, and they took a look at the Bush administration and said, okay, John McCain might be a good guy, but his first decision was a bad one that one being Sarah Palin. And if he's a Republican, anything like George Bush, this is not working for us. So now we're into the Obama administration. And the Obama administration is going to have to deal with all of the crap left over from the Bush administration. And in 2013, President Obama has now been president for four years. The economy is improving. It has not improved enough. Unemployment is still about 7.5%. It is down from the high water mark of approximately 10% at the beginning of his administration. Um, investment is starting to occur again in the economy, but we are still involved in Iraq. He has not yet closed Guantanamo in Cuba, which he had promised to close Guantanamo. We are still involved in Afghanistan. We're still actively fighting in Afghanistan. So time has yet to tell what's going to happen with both the Obama administration and some of the policies of the Bush administration. Anyway, that concludes our timeline series for review in American history geared primarily at 
the advanced placement exam in U.S. history, but certainly these timelines can be used to review any aspect of American history as we look towards college exams and final exams for juniors and seniors in high school. I hope you found this helpful. Take a look at Bush History in general on YouTube as the site builds and the channel builds, and we go, we go into many different aspects of American history. Thanks for watching, and remember, it's Hawaiian Friday. Take care, guys.